You are listening to KBOO Portland. My name is Magenta Rex, and this is the Speciesism Podcast. I almost called it the Eliminating Speciesism is the Key to World Peace podcast, but figured that was too long. So, speciesism. Well, race is to racism as species is to speciesism. It's excluding from the realm of ethical and moral consideration another being based on their species. And the manifestation often sees humans treating beings as things, as in a factory farming environment. I want to get people thinking and even talking about speciesism and questioning, asking themselves how it might manifest itself in their own lives and in the dark, unexamined parts of their hearts and minds. I really think this is one of those troubles that is killed by light. You shine a light on it in yourself, oftentimes it disappears. Now, the topic of speciesism has the potential to be truly terrifying, disgusting, and heartbreaking, very dark. But my heart is tender, so I choose to focus on the opportunities presented by transcending speciesism, about how that feels and looks and to explore the concept in a historical context and the philosophical implications. This podcast comes in four flavors, global focus, local action, historical context, and future vision. Money is not the root of all evil. Money is just a way to exchange value easily. Value isn't the root of all evil either. In fact, our values are more important than we understand as they translate directly into the amount of value we perceive in the world, or anti-value, which is also a thing. No, the root of all evil is actually speciesism. But what spawned speciesism? Greed and illusion. So I guess it could be argued that greed is actually the root of all evil. So how do we compact greed? Be generous, reward generosity, and shame the greedy? And how do we combat speciesism? We realize that our consumptive habits are causing other beings harm. We look directly at our blind spots and face that a pig, a cow, a chicken, and a sheep are not somehow exceptional beings that don't suffer. We stop pretending that they do not have emotions and experiences, emotions and experiences very similar to our beloved cats and dogs. So why is speciesism the root of all evil? Well, speciesism spawned classism and sexism, and racism is the inbred child of classism and speciesism. So what I'm saying is that greed spawns speciesism, which leads to war, classism, and sexism. Racism is born of classism and speciesism, as the wealthy like to divide up the many, many poor along as many lines as possible to keep their exploited masses preoccupied with fighting each other for no reason whatsoever. Skin color is not a reason to judge or oppose someone. However, having one's ancestors oppressed 
and exploited, brutalized, seems pretty real. All of these isms are mental schism illusions, a social societal disease Gaia is suffering from. The original ism, however, the one that predates and arguably causes all the others, is speciesism. Speciesism stands as the final horizon of mental integration, the final chasm to bridge. And with this bridge, the doors finally open for true intra-species integration, which nullifies our racism, sexism, and classism. Those are the big three, but there are countless other isms which our minds can create to delineate us in innumerable ways, creating chasms, impassable cliffs of imagined differences firewalls to empathy and right relationship. During the historical context portion of this podcast, I'll often focus on the work of a brilliant sociology professor based in Ohio, whose work is unparalleled in exposing and relating the unvarnished truth of the history of our species as it relates to the other species on our planet and as it connects our most intransigent social ills throughout history. His name is David Nybert, N-I-B-E-R-T. From his talk on the animal industrial complex, available on alternativeradio.org, Nybert says, For most of our time on the planet, humans foraged and lived primarily on plant-based diets. Our communities were egalitarian, and there was ample time for leisure and social activities. This long period has been referred to by anthropologists as the original affluent society. However, this period ended when humans began to routinely hunt large animals, primarily a male pursuit. As our species does not have the biological makeup of a predator, this hunting could only be accomplished through the creation of weapons. Those men most successful at such killing exerted growing power. Social hierarchy began to emerge, and the status of women began to decline. The beginning of systemic human exploitation and social stratification can be traced to the advent of agricultural society in Eurasia, roughly 10,000 years ago. Agricultural systems were tied to the exploitation of large social animals, including cows, horses, sheep, pigs, and goats, who were captured and exploited as laborers and for their hair, skin, body fluids, and flesh. So let's review the timeline for Homo sapiens. Homo sapiens evolves about 200,000 years ago, and for 110,000 years, they live primarily by gathering, gathering, only gathering. Then they develop projectile weapons and begin hunting. This was 90,000 years ago. 
10,000 years ago. They start to enslave other animals and use them in their agricultural societies. And that's when everything goes to hell in a handbasket. You start to see a class develop that's exploiting another class, and you see the status of women decline. Frederick Engels discusses this in his theory of the patriarchy. From Engels' book, Origin of the Family, Private Property, and the State, in 1884, he maintained that the disparities of power between men and women were not based on their inherent natures, but were the result of social and historical circumstances rooted in antiquity. Engels contended that the earliest organized human communities lived according to the principles of a benevolent matriarchy. Classless and communal, he explained, these groupings neither owned land nor herds of animals. They derived their sustenance from the relatively uncultivated nature that surrounded them. According to Engels, a sexual division of nature existed, but it was cooperative and egalitarian. As hunters, men were responsible for bringing meat to the table, while women took care of the social spaces in which the extended families lived, planting, preserving, and preparing food, maintaining the collective living space. Within such societies, he wrote, women were honored and lived freely. Since it was women who gave birth to children, family identity was naturally passed on through the mother line. When new conjugal bonds were established between social groups, males would move from their family of origin into the circles of their mate. Under such circumstances, the physical domination of one sex by another served no practical purpose. The coming of private property, initially in the form of livestock, changed all of this. As animals were domesticated and organized breeding expanded the herd, the province of men was transformed into something unprecedented, property. With this development, the custom of defining lineage through women proved a serious problem. As long as descent was reckoned according to mother right and the mother line was determined a person's family group or gens, males had no mechanism for passing on their property to their sons. In response to this impasse, Engels speculated, men invented patriarchy, a system of inheritance that would travel through the father line, ensuring that they and their male progeny would maintain ownership of the herd. As women bear children, the fatherhood is inherently uncertain. This called for severe measures. In an attempt to guarantee that their offspring would indeed be their own, men forcibly inhibited the social and sexual lives of their wives. In order for patrilineage to work, a woman whose function was that of bearing heirs could not live freely. She was cut off from all unauthorized social contact. While male sexuality was unregulated, the law of monogamy was imposed on women, save those whose task it was to fulfill the extramarital desires of men. A wife was to be ruled by her husband, reduced to servitude. She became the slave of his lust and a mere instrument for the production of children. This development, Engels declared, constituted the world historical defeat of the female sex.
review speciesism being responsible for the paradigm allowing humans to hunt other animals wasn't a concept that no one thought of till recently so now we can talk about it and examine it and explore how it relates to our lives and how it's impacted our world and what we find is that the advent of agricultural society was the beginning of human social stratification, which is modern-day classism, in India, a caste system, and also the beginning of, of sexism, the propensity for one to prefer their own interests and disregard the experience, the interests, the needs of another be it within their own species or outside of their own species. Um, these are all one and the same mental, societal disease. David Nybert writes in regards to other animals, Today, due to a growing body of work by cognitive ethologists, we know that these other sentient inhabitants of the earth have complex and rich social and emotional lives. They can experience considerable pleasure as well as intense pain. By their confinement, exploitation, cruel treatment, and over time their biological manipulation, these other animals were desecrated. However, such use of other animals and the implications for our species has been masked by the term domestication. Let's take a brief digression to think about this word. We're taught in school that animal domestication was a positive development. Language is a powerful tool in rationalizing and naturalizing injustice and we should always seek to expose those phrases and words that serve as ideological supports for oppressive systems. It is important to reject the term domestication, a word that sanitizes a violent practice and that naturalizes the oppression of other animals. Domestication is a word loaded with ideological bias and which undermines critical thinking. As these other animals were desecrated, I will refer to what happened to them as domestication, and throughout my talk I'll try to avoid the use of words that objectify and defame devalued humans and other animals. Back then to early agricultural society, the possession of large numbers of domesticated animals became a sign of wealth and dominance, and elite males' treatment of them as property was extended to women and devalued people. Countless people were relegated to the socially constructed position of serf, peasant, and slave. Growing numbers of men armed with weapons created for killing other animals were dispatched by elites to raid other peoples for their domesticated animals and other sources of wealth. Violent attacks on distant societies were made possible by the use of horses as instruments of war. End quote. As this is 2014, the year of the horse, I want to take a second to acknowledge the place of horses in our society. 
Most of the horses we come in contact with are not free-living animals. They never have the opportunity to live a natural life in the wild. They're servants, slaves of human interests, generally entertainment, utility, less often now war. But for a long time, the use of horses was what allowed massive war to happen in the Eurasian continent. On this, Nybert writes, in the Americas, even before contact with Europeans, the hunting of other animals also had given rise to the creation of weapons and human violence. However, as large social animals long had been extinct there, in part from overhunting, large-scale warfare and genocidal invasions did not occur. This is because there were no growing populations of domesticated animals requiring land and water expropriation, and because invasions of far-off regions were unnecessary and not practical without horses. Conflict between human communities in the Americas primarily took the form of small-scale raids and skirmishes. End quote. In the next edition of this podcast, I'll discuss in more detail how the basis for human war is speciesist thought. But for now, let's circle back to racism. Racism is an intra-speciesism within one's own species. Or said another way, racism is really just speciesism with species defined wrong. Instead of defining our area of empathy and ethical inclusion exclusively as a scientifically agreed upon group of homo sapiens, the racist simply makes this area smaller and builds their empathy firewalls within the group of homo sapiens according to superficial physical characteristics supposedly defining one's race. You may be wondering if speciesism is so bad, how did it get to be the dominant global mental paradigm? And the answer is a simple three-step process that David Nybert describes in his first book, Animal Rights, Human Rights. First, there's an economic motivation for oppression. Next, the wealth amassed through this oppression leads to control of the state. Finally, with control of the state, we see ideological control of the population. This ideological control manifests itself to promote speciesism overtly, as well as racism and sexism more subtly. The most obvious example of the interconnected nature of speciesism and racism is seen when looking at the Jewish Holocaust during World War II. The Nazis could not have killed all those people without first conceiving of themselves as a superior species. And with their speciesist mentalities applied to devalued humans, at that point dispensed with them like so many bovine animals in a human-centered version of slaughterhouses like so many factory farms are doing as we speak to so many other species. We, as human speciesists, are born into a culture so saturated in speciesism that it remains completely subconscious, for the most part. We serve as unwitting mercenaries for torture. With every juicy, price-reduced, and cost-externalized Big Mac, our dollars feed madness and tragedy, harming ourselves the earth, the rainforests, and other animals, all in one fell painless swoop or swipe of the credit card. Talk about killing three birds with one stone. 
a speciesist adage if ever there was one. McDonald's kills millions, eventually billions, of them. I was a mercenary of this less than one year ago. Thank you for listening to KBOO Portland. This is Magenta Rex. Please join me next time as I discuss the relation between speciesism, war, and organized religion. Thank you.